Hello, everyone. What is up? Welcome back to another episode of Killer Instinct, you guys. If you are new here, hi, my name is Savannah, and I am your host of Killer Instinct. Before we get started, make sure you go ahead and hit that subscribe button. We post weekly here on the podcast every Wednesday, and then again every Thursday on YouTube, and you are not going to want to miss it. Before we get started, a couple of little housekeeping things. First being that I am pretty under the weather right now. I have something, I don't know what it is. I've had it for a couple months now and on and off for a couple months. And it's kind of hitting me again the past couple days. So if I sound a little bit under the weather, that is why I apologize. Second thing is, as you can tell by the title of today's episode, we are talking about the unsolved murder of 17-year-old Candace Hiltz. This is a case that will frustrate you to your core. And I am incredibly interested to see where you guys fall on this case. And what I wanted to tell you is that if you are, you know, an avid listener of all true crime creators, you would probably know that a wonderful creator by the name of Stephanie Harlow recently did this case about a week ago. Um, And I realized that after I did my research on this case. And I just wanted to point that out because I know sometimes it can be frustrating listening to one true crime creator cover a case and then another creator cover the same case within a short period of time. What I will tell you is that it was not planned. I've had this case on my calendar for a very long time and sometimes overlaps just happen like that. But I do think that that's kind of the beauty of the true crime community is that there are so many creators in this community and we all tell a case very differently. We all offer a different perspective and something very different to each case. So I wanted to point that out because I know that that I knew that that comment was going to come. So I just wanted to get ahead of that one. And I hope that that's okay with you guys. And with that being said, let's jump right into today's case. So Candace Hiltz was born on December 22nd, 1988 in Cannon County, Colorado. She was born to her mother, Dolores, and she also had several older brothers as well as one older sister. One of Candace's older brothers in particular is named James, and we will get to him later. And unfortunately, Candace's father ended up passing away when she was only five years old. So this made her become very, very close with her mother. Now, growing up, Candace truly was one of a kind. She was absolutely brilliant. She was actually taking calculus at the age of 11 years old, which is pretty unheard of. I'm 25 years old and could not do calculus to save my life. So the fact that she was able to do that at 11 is pretty astounding. And her friends described her as a tomboy. She stood at about five foot two, but even with being smaller in stature, Candace was extremely strong and passionate about the things that she believed in. Candace's mother says that Candace was the light that walked into every room. Everyone was completely drawn to her. If you're watching me on YouTube, you could tell that Candace was a gorgeous, beautiful girl. However, her mother said that the beauty that she carried on the inside was even far more impressive than the beauty that she carried on the outside. Like I said, Candace was very strong. She was a no bullshit kind of girl and she always stood up for what she believed in. And if she set her mind to something, she was going to accomplish it. And not only was Candace not afraid to stand up for herself, she was always the one that was standing up for other people as well. She never ever let anyone be mistreated or let anyone feel left out. She was always the person that would stand up. 
Now, Candace's ultimate goal actually was to become a lawyer. She was actually going to go to Stanford Law School. However, unfortunately, her life was taken from her before she was ever able to accomplish that. Now, like I said, Candace was always the one who was stepping up to help others and to stand up for others. She was very overprotective of the people that she loved, and that included her older brother, James. Now, James is a pretty interesting person in this entire case, and we're going to kind of go in and out of talking about him because he plays a prevalent role in this case. Now, James was dealing with some psychological issues and was diagnosed with severe paranoia at the time of Candace's murder. James had a fear of people in general. It wasn't a specific type of person. It wasn't one person in general. He had an overwhelming fear of people in general. And he wasn't always like this. He did have a wife and kids at one point, and we'll get into that later. But at this time, he was suffering from this paranoia to an extreme extent, so much so that he was actually living in the woods behind Candace and Dolores's home because he didn't want to live in the house with them. His paranoia was that extreme. Now, as you can imagine, the fact that James was living in the woods behind his family's house definitely caused people to have their opinions about James. However, Candace never let anyone say a bad word. So anytime anyone ever did say something about James, she was always the first to step up and stand up for him. Now, like I said, Candace was very academically advanced for her age. At just 17 years old, she was already in her third year of college. She went to Brigham Young University. However, it was also in her third year of college when she was 17 years old that Candace learned that she was pregnant. Now, there isn't a lot of information out there about the father of Candace's child, although we do know his name is Jesse Weaver and Candace and Jesse were dating at the time. Now, when Candace found out that she was pregnant, she knew that the probability of her being able to succeed academically to her fullest extent and to be the best mother that she could be was going to be a hard task to tackle both things at once. Candace was the type of person that when she set her mind to something, she wanted to be all in on it. And she knew that it would be very difficult to be all in on her academics while also raising her daughter the way that she wanted to. So she ended up kind of taking a step back from the academics. She was doing online classes at Brigham Young right when she had her daughter. Now, Candace had a daughter in late August named Paige, and Paige was actually born with something called hydrocephalus, which is caused by excessive fluid in the brain, and the fluid increases the size of the ventricles in the brain and therefore puts pressure on it. Typically, 50% of the children with hydrocephalus end up passing away by three years old, and as you can imagine, when Candace heard the news of her daughter's condition, it was devastating. You can't even begin to imagine what Candace was feeling in that moment. Now, regardless of what Paige's life expectancy was and what her condition was, Candace knew that she wanted to give Paige the best life she possibly could. She wanted to do everything for her. She wanted to spoil her to the max. She wanted Paige to have a life that was just filled with love and excitement. And that is exactly what she set out to do. 
Dolores actually said that Candace treated every single week that she had with Paige as if it were Paige's birthday. That is how special Candace made Paige feel. She said that they would go outside and play in the snow and Candace would put Paige in a sled and just walk her around the property. They did everything together, even though at this time, Paige was not even a year old. Now, I do want to mention that Candace, again, was living in her home with Dolores, her mother, and Paige. So Dolores was also helping Candace out a lot with Paige because, like I said, Candace still was only 17 years old. She was doing the online classes. However, obviously, Paige was her number one priority, and she did end up getting help when necessary from Dolores, and the three of them were so incredibly close. Now, this case really begins in 2006. Now, in 2006, the Fremont County Sheriff's deputy, which is a man named Robert Dodd, he arrived to the Hilt's home in August of 2006. And again, this is where Candace and Dolores lived. And when he got to the front door, he asked if James was home. And this is when Robert Dodd told Dolores that the police were looking into James because they believed that he was possibly responsible for multiple different robberies and trespassing that had happened recently in that area. And we don't know exactly what was said here. However, from what we do know of the conversation through what Candace had told her friends and her family was that Robert Dodd and Candace kind of got into a little bit of a verbal altercation. Candace started getting very upset that Robert was accusing James. She felt like he was the easy target and that the police were just targeting him. And Robert Dodd very quickly told Candace that if she continued to yell at him, if she continued to come at him in this kind of aggressive way, that he was going to arrest her. And from what we've heard, again, this is all kind of hearsay in this, but from what we've heard, Candace then took her wrists and held them up to Robert Dodd almost as a kind of like a little taunt, like, oh really, are you really going to do it? Like here, arrest me. If that's what you want to do, you can arrest me. And Robert Dodd did not arrest Candace. However, Candace then took it one step further and Candace told Robert Dodd that she knew that Robert had been accepting envelopes from known drug dealers in the area and Candace said that she was going to expose Robert for who he truly was. Now, once Candace told him that, Robert was just kind of done and he left the house. And again, that was on August 10th of 2006. So now we move on to three days later, which is August 13th, 2006. And Candace and Dolores had a dog named Jackson. And on the day of August 13th, 2006, both Candace and Dolores were out doing different things. And when they came home, they realized that Jackson was nowhere to be found. Jackson was simply just gone and Candace and Dolores knew that it wasn't like Jackson to just run away. He was very, very close with the family. He wasn't like an outdoor dog. He definitely liked being around people. He loved Candace. He loved Dolores. They knew that he wouldn't have just ran off. And initially there were questions on maybe whether or not a mountain lion had gotten to Jackson. However, that really didn't make a whole lot of sense. So Candace pretty immediately thought that someone had stolen Jackson. So much so that she actually went straight to the police department And when she went to the police department to basically tell them all of this, she was met with Robert Dodd again. The two of them crossed paths again, and apparently they got into another verbal disagreement. 
And then Candace went home. So now we move on to two days after that, which is August 15th, 2006. So on the 10th, you had Robert Dodd coming over to talk about the potential of James being involved in a string of robberies. On the 13th, the family dog Jackson goes missing. And now we are at August 15th, 2006. Before we move any further, we are going to take a quick moment and thank our sponsors for today's video. Imagine an app designed to make you use it less. Seems a little counterproductive, right? Well, Apartments.com's Instant Alert feature works exactly that way. Instead of scanning rental listings a million times a day, simply set and forget your search to whatever you're looking for in a place and let Apartments.com do the rest. From pet-friendly apartments to balconies to in-unit ACs, Apartments.com's powerful search tools let you know when the perfect combination of features you're seeking is listed. So you don't have to power through rental descriptions one by one. With more rental listings than anywhere else, Apartments Apartments.com's instant alerts mean that you can spend less time looking for the perfect place and more time on just doing you. Apartments.com, the place to find a place. Now on this day, Candace and Paige were at the house by themselves. Dolores had stepped out to run a couple errands around noon that day. And Dolores didn't typically leave Candace and Paige by themselves for very long or for a very long period of time. She didn't like leaving them alone. And so because Dolores knew that she was going to be gone for a while, she tried to just call and check up on Candace and make sure that everything was good. However, after she tried calling the house and not getting an answer, Dolores then took it a step further and decided to call her next door neighbor. Dolores called her next door neighbor and asked if it would be okay if the neighbor went over to Dolores's house and just checked on Candace and Paige because she hadn't heard from them in a while. However, before the neighbors could even go over there, Candace's boyfriend, as well as Paige's father, Jesse Weaver, actually arrived to the house before the neighbors got there. And it's uncertain whether this was a planned visit or if he was just simply stopping by unexpectedly. However, when Jesse arrived to the house, he was walking up to the front door and he heard Paige inside of the house screaming, crying. He was able to hear this from the outside of the house. And so he immediately walked in. And when he walked in, he noticed that there was a large pool of blood in the hallway, like the entryway hallway when you walk into the house. And of course, Jesse was confused and shocked and worried. And he ended up following kind of the trail of blood. And that led into Candace's bedroom. And while Candace was nowhere to be found in this house, he did find Paige in her crib, again, just screaming, wailing, crying. So Jesse ended up picking up Paige from her crib and walking over to the next door neighbor's house. And it was pretty simultaneously at this time that Dolores actually came home from running her errands. So Dolores gets home, Jesse walks outside with Paige over to the neighbors and kind of looks at the neighbors and looks at Dolores and asks them if either of them have heard or seen from Candace because she 
wasn't inside. Now, the neighbor and Dolores were obviously confused. They were like, no, we haven't seen Candace. And so Dolores immediately runs into the house. And when she runs in there, she sees again the pool of blood. She also noticed a shell casing by the fireplace in the living room, as well as a blood smear on Candace's bedroom door. Now, I just want to clarify that Dolores did get home at about 3.30 p.m. So there was a three and a half hour window when all of this had happened. Now, when Dolores walked into Candace's room, she immediately noticed that something was different. Candace had a big green kind of quilt comforter that always laid on top of her bed. And Dolores noticed that that comforter was no longer on Candace's bed when she walked in there. And right when she was about to turn around to walk throughout the rest of the house, Dolores looked down and noticed that this big quilted comforter was stuffed underneath Candace's bed. Now, right when Dolores saw this, her heart dropped because it looked as if something had been rolled up and stuffed into this comforter. So she walked over to the bed, removed the comforter from underneath it, and when she unwrapped it, she saw the body of her daughter, Candace, wrapped up in this blanket. Now, Dolores said that 75% of Candace's head was gone. And that would make sense because the autopsy showed that Candace was shot seven different times, six times in the head and one time in the chest. She was shot once in the chest, once in the front of her head, and then five times in the back of her head. And oddly enough, the autopsy also showed that there were three different types of ammunition that were used to murder Candace, which at first led to believe that there were three different types of guns. However, we will dive into that a little later. One of the shots to her head was from a caliber shotgun. The one in her chest was with a 45 long Colt and the remainder were 22 caliber shots to the back of her head. Now, Dolores immediately called authorities and there were actually two authorities that arrived on the scene weirdly enough it took them an hour to get there i'm not sure why it took them so long however dolores said that she sat there and held candace's hand the entirety of that hour before police arrived and when she was waiting for police to arrive now when police got there there were two officers that arrived on the scene it was officer risco as well as officer robert dodd the same officer that Candace had previously gotten into those verbal altercations with in the week leading up to this. Police first looked at the scene and they were kind of, you know, doing their initial investigation. What they believed happened was they believed that whoever murdered Candace did so in the entry hallway of the house and then dragged her body into her bedroom. And then while she was in the hallway, brought out the blanket, wrapped her up in it, and then dragged her back into her bedroom and stuffed her body underneath her bed. According to Dolores, pretty automatically, she felt as if the police were pointing the finger at James, Candace's older brother. Now, I will say, Dolores had some very contradicting statements when it came to James and whether or not she believed that he would be capable of something like this. The disclaimer that I want to put on all of that is, you know, you have to remember that Dolores just lost 
a daughter. You can't even fathom what these parents go through or what they feel. And so I don't want to sound like I'm, you know, pointing the finger at Dolores when I say that she has contradicting statements, because as you can imagine, this is the most traumatizing and horrifying thing that a person can go through. And so it's not to the fault of her. However, I just, facts are facts. And there were some contradicting statements from her about James because initially she said that she did not believe that James would be capable of this. And she said this when she was being questioned by police. And the only reason she was being questioned is, you know, after every murder case that we have covered, they always take the people closest to the victims and they just ask them what happened. And they were, police were simply just trying to put the pieces together. And so when she was being questioned by police, she told them that she did not believe that James was capable of something like this. She did not believe that he was violent. She said that James was would never voluntarily come into their home. However, with that being said, in that same interrogation, she did say that her and Candace were afraid of James to a certain degree. And she also then said that he possibly could be capable of something like this, even though she did say that he wasn't capable of something like that in the same sitting. She also mentioned that a lot of times she would prepare food for James and leave it outside, leave it in the backyard for him to come and retrieve and bring it back to his house in the woods. And she said that even six days before Candace's murder, Dolores said that Candace and her had decided together that they did not want to allow James to come back in the house because they were so afraid of him. Now, Dolores said that she did not say these things. However, they are recorded in her police questioning. So it's just something to keep in mind. As you can probably imagine, being in that situation again is just you can't even, you can't imagine it, but those were things that she did say. Now, when it came to the family dog, Jackson, Dolores said that Jackson did not like James and that he would growl and bark whenever James came around. She said this in the police questioning and then said later that she never said that. However, again, it is on video. Now, also in this same interrogation, Dolores told police that Candace thought that James was the one who took the dog. So after their initial questioning with Dolores, police then set out to find James. That was their next task was to find James, but James was not in his home in the woods anymore. So now police were on a manhunt to find James. Now, during this manhunt to find James, police obviously went into the woods to look for him because that's where he was living pretty much. And while they were looking in the woods, police ended up finding Jackson. Now, Jackson had been found tied to a tree and he was shot three times. Three days following Candace's murder on August 18th, 2006, police did end up finding James. He was discovered in a neighborhood not far from where Dolores's house was. And again, he was hiding in the woods in that area as well. At the time of the arrest, James didn't have a gun on him, but he did have a hunting knife. Authorities then arrested James and brought him in for questioning. And while they brought him in for questioning, police then told Dolores that she 
could finally go home. They were done collecting evidence, but when Dolores went home, she realized that there were a lot of things that were left in the house that she thought were crucial to this case that seemed to just have been left by police, which was very suspicious to her. First of all, the blanket that Candace was wrapped up in was left in the house, which you would think would be something that's very important for police to take. Along with that, there was also a shell casing in Paige's crib that was left there. And because of this, like I said, Dolores and her family became suspicious and they thought that this was lazy police work and it made them question why were the police being lazy with this? Now, Dolores continued to go back to the police and say, hey, you left this, there's still that, you know, did you take this piece of evidence or that piece of evidence? And after continuously going over and over and over again, her efforts actually worked because then authorities arrived to the house and basically with the search warrant said, okay, give me all that evidence that you were talking about. They took it and then they brought it back into their files of evidence. Now, I'm basically just going to tell you right now what the two main theories have been in this entire case, and I'm going to do so because it'll just make more sense as we continue to go through everything else that we have to get through in this case, because these are still, to this day, the two main theories. The first one being that James Hiltz, Candace's older brother, was responsible for her murder, and the second being that the Fremont County Sheriff's Department was responsible for the murder of Candace Hiltz. And the reason people believe the second one is because they think that it's possible that Candace had threatened Officer Robert Dodd in exposing what he had been doing and being a quote-unquote dirty cop, and they needed to keep her quiet. So those are kind of the two theories that we have here. And Dolores in particular really fell hard on the second one. She really does believe that the Fremont Police Department was involved in her daughter's murder. She thinks that based off of the autopsy report that at least two people were responsible for shooting Candace, one in the front of her and one behind her at the same time. She believed that the shell casing that was found in Paige's crib happened after her killers had dragged Candace into her room, and she believes that while they were trying to put her under the bed, Candace began having what's called death tremors, which made the killers shoot her again, and that's where the shell casing came from. Dolores also said that she found bloody towels on top of her washing machine that she believes the killers used to wipe themselves off, and those towels were DNA tested, and it came back that the DNA on the towels did not match anyone in her family, not even James. And obviously a lot of people believe that the reason she was so vocal about that was because she was trying to insinuate that it couldn't have been James who did this. So this case really went cold for about 10 years. Like I said, Candace was murdered in 2006 and there really wasn't much progression in anything involving her case. There wasn't any movement right or left when it came to the James theory, when it came to the Fremont Police Department theory, or if it just came to a whole different theory on, you know, it was someone completely different that was responsible for Candace's death. There was no movement whatsoever on this case until... 
In 2016, there was a man named Rick Ratzlaff, and he had bid on a storage unit. And if you don't know, sometimes when people stop paying their rent on their storage units, their units will be auctioned off. And whoever wins the auction also wins whatever's in the storage unit. If you've ever seen this show, Storage Wars, it's basically the same thing, but no one knows what's actually in the storage unit until after a winner is drawn. So it's not like you go in knowing what you're gonna get. It's basically a total surprise either way. Sometimes it's really cool stuff. Sometimes it's just you know useless stuff. But in this case, Rick won a storage unit and it was in the same town that Candace lived in. And once he got in the unit, there were a lot of police uniforms, police badges, just police paraphernalia, as well as several envelopes that were labeled as evidence. Now, inside the evidence envelopes, there were a rope, there was an axe, there was a comforter, there were socks in there. And to see an envelope that's labeled evidence, and then to see all of these bizarre, seemingly, you know, weapons, an axe is a weapon, a rope can be used as a weapon, along with all of the police uniforms and other things that were in the unit, it was definitely very questionable. Now, you might be wondering, who did this storage unit belong to? Well, it belonged to Officer Robert Dodd, who was the same officer that had kind of butted heads with Candace up until her murder. Now, when Dolores and a lot of the media, honestly, when the public saw this and saw the pieces of evidence and who the storage unit belonged to, it kind of was just like, you know, for a lot of people, it seemed like the smoking gun. Like Robert Dodd had the storage unit of all these weird items in there. There was a rope, there was an ax, there was a comforter. Now, DNA and blood testing was done on the rope and the axe, and it was determined that there was no presence of blood on either of them. And along with that, the axe that was found wasn't your typical, you know, wood chopping axe. It's not the typical axe that you think of like as a murder weapon. This was more of like a decorative axe. It's not my kind of decoration. I don't know who's using an axe as a decoration, but it's not a murder weapon type of axe. If you're watching me on YouTube, I'm gonna try and find a picture of it and put it up so you understand what I'm talking about. So with no blood on the rope or the axe and Candace's DNA was not on there either, that kind of pushes that to the side. Now we get to the comforter. And like I said, a lot of people believed that this could have been the comforter that was used to wrap up Candace's body. And if it was, maybe it was Robert Dodd trying to hide something and trying to, you know, collect the evidence for himself. And so no one else can find it and no one else can test it. Like I said, the picture of the comforter was not released initially when all of this came out. However, the comforter that was found in the storage unit was not the same comforter that Candace was wrapped up in. This comforter was basically like a Mexican styled blanket. It was pink and black, just completely different. It was just a completely different blanket. Now, when it came to the storage unit, the CBI actually took over the investigation of the storage unit because it's basically against protocol for the Fremont police to investigate the storage unit because it's one of their own's storage unit. So they couldn't do that. So the CBI came in and when they took over the investigation, they said that they believed, like I just mentioned, that the articles in the unit are not enough to link Robert Dodd to the murder of Candace Hiltz. They said that the media and the public kind of saw the list of items that were in the storage unit and again, made it make sense for their narrative. Now you might be wondering, okay, 
Like that all kind of makes sense. But why were these items even there to begin with? Like that's kind of weird. So basically what happened is when the manhunt for James was going on, the Fremont police officers and the Fremont police department was instructed to kind of collect any potential evidence as they go. If they saw something that they thought could be helpful in the investigation, pick it up and bring it back. And Robert Dodd's job was to go in and basically log every single piece of potential evidence that all of the officers went out and collected while they were looking for James. Now, according to Robert Dodd, he said that when he was looking at this, you know, all the pile of just items, you had the rope, you had the ax, but you also had so many other items in there that were so random. He said that he knew logging all those items were going to take a long, long time and he didn't really want to do it. So that is why all these items were in the storage unit. So he was a procrastinator and he was lazy and that was the extent of it. So he says, now I want to talk about the gunshots that were ultimately the cause of death for Candace because a ballistics team was brought in and they walked through the entire case front to back and and they believed that Candace was at first in the kitchen and she had heard the front door open. It's then believed that once Candace heard the front door open, she then walked to the entry hallway where she was then met with her killer and shot. So the initial shots were taken at the front when Candace was facing her shooter. So that was the shot to her chest and the shot to the front of her head. It is then believed that the shooter went into her bedroom, grabbed the comforter and started wrapping her up in the comforter in the hallway. And when they were wrapping her up, they had faced her down at one point and Candace had started making some either gurgling noises or was moving or something had happened and it freaked out the shooter. So the shooter then pulled out another gun and shot her five more times in the back of the head. Now, ballistic experts also believe, like I said earlier, that whoever shot Candace, it was one shooter with two different guns and three different types of ammunition. Now, before we really dive deep into James, I do want to mention something that you guys might be wondering who could potentially be responsible for this, and that is Jesse. Candace's boyfriend and Paige's father. When I was first going through my research and looking at the fact that Jesse was the one who discovered Paige in the crib, he was the first one to see the blood and all of it, my mind immediately went to, why is no one looking into him? However, Jesse did have a tight alibi. He was in a totally different city at the time of this, and it was confirmed by multiple sources. So he was cleared on all of this. So Jesse, not involved. So let's talk about James now, because like I said, the two biggest theories in this case are that Robert Dodd and the Fremont Police Department are responsible and that Jesse is responsible. Now, when the family dog Jackson went missing, it is reported that Candace actually accused James of being the one to have done something to Jackson. And apparently this has caused a massive, massive fight between Candace and James. And according to Dolores, she said that during this fight, it was the most enraged and furious she had ever seen James before. Now, the cold justice team actually spoke to James's ex-wife, and she did say, you know, that James was an amazing father, an amazing husband. James was his ex-wife's first love. They basically grew up together. However, his ex-wife said that when James's father passed away, his personality changed. He turned to drugs and alcohol, and in 2005, he started working at a morgue, and his ex-wife believed that he was actually injecting himself with embalming fluid, 
which if he was doing that, it would have caused a drug-induced mania. And she said that she believes that this was the case because James was acting as if he was in a drug-induced mania. He would claim he was the sun next day and Jesus the next day and then the devil the next day and then the moon the day after that. And he was also very physically violent with his wife. And that's not something that he had ever done before. On one occasion, James actually picked up his ex-wife and swung her around in circles, which resulted in her hitting her head on a lamp and cracking her head open. And after that, she officially moved out with her kids on July 12th, which was literally just about a month before Candace's murder. Now, according to Jesse, Candace's boyfriend, he said that once the family dog Jackson went missing, everyone thought that it was James, including Dolores. And that Dolores and Candace had began locking the doors at all times just because they were afraid of James coming into the house and what he was capable of. Now, not only that, Jesse said that on the day of Candace's murder, James actually attempted to stab Jesse. After Jackson had been stolen, Jesse actually tried to meet up with one of Candace's other brothers at their house. I believe his name is Casey. And Jesse tried to meet up with Casey on the morning of August 15th. And he went over to the house in the morning and Casey was not there, but James was standing in kind of like the front of the house. And when Jesse got out of the car, he asked James if Casey was home and James said no. Now, one thing that Jesse noticed was that James had his hand underneath his shirt. So he was kind of hiding his hand. And after Jesse was told that Casey wasn't there, he was like, all right, whatever, and turned around and started walking back towards his car. Now, when he was doing this, James actually approached him and, you know, grabbed him by his shoulder and turned him around. And then James took his hand out from underneath his shirt and showed Jesse that he was holding a kitchen knife. And after he pulled the knife out, he then attempted to stab Jesse with this kitchen knife. And when he did that, Jesse luckily was able to get away and he left just kind of screaming at James and was like, what is wrong with you? Why did you do that? Now it's not really said whether or not Candace knew about this altercation between Jesse and James. It's not really said whether Dolores knew, but Jesse basically just left right after that. Now, another thing that you might be thinking here is that Candace was shot to death. And if we're following the theory that James was responsible for this, how did James get access to a firearm? Because he lives out in the woods. Dolores said he did not own any type of gun. However, James was suspected as being responsible for multiple robberies in the area. Now, when authorities went back and looked at the list of items that were taken from the homes that were robbed, the same guns that were used to murder Candace were taken from the homes that were robbed. And not only that, police were able to collect some DNA samples from the scene of the robberies in each house. One of them, they were able to collect DNA off of like a whiskey bottle because when he went in there, he drank their whiskey and so his DNA was on the bottle. And the DNA that was found was a match to James. So that linked James to the robbery. And during those robberies, the guns that killed Candace were taken from the home. Along with that, police were also able to determine that one of the guns that were used to kill Candace was the same gun that was used to kill Jackson, the family dog. 
Now, police were actually able to find the gun in the same woods that James was living in at the time, which only further connects him to this. And the gun actually looked like someone had tried to destroy it. It looked like someone had either tried to stab it or was throwing it at something because it was heavily dented. And along with that, when police were looking for the guns, they also found a bloody towel. It was a bloody white towel that had a bone fragment, a skull bone fragment in the bloody towel wrapped up in a tree where James was living at the time. And when they did the testing on that skull fragment, they were able to determine that it was a match for Candace. With all of that being said, it doesn't seem like too far of a stretch to think that James would be capable of something like this. And when it comes to Dolores, you know, I don't even want to speak on really her at all because I just, I can't even fathom what this would be like. I really can't. And I don't want to sit here and make assumptions. However, my opinion is that I think that she doesn't want to believe that her son would be capable of something like this. That is just my opinion. And obviously no one would want to believe that their child is capable of something like this. So you can't sit here and blame her for that. You can't say, why would she think that? Why wouldn't she think that is the bigger question. Of course, she's going to think that. However, I think when you look at the facts and look at all the evidence, it's clear that James had every capability to do this. And when you look at the theory of the Fremont Police Department being responsible for something like this, I also think it should be noted that if the police department were going to commit a murder, you think that they would cover it up better. I don't think that the police, knowing everything that they know, knowing how to probably get away with it, you know, would shoot her that many times, leave blood on the scene, wrap her up in a blanket and put her underneath her bed. It just doesn't seem like something that they would do in the sense that it seems too messy for them. But that is the case of Candace Hiltz and I cannot wait to see what you guys have to say about it. So with that being said, you guys, that is all for me today. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of Killer Instinct. Again, if you're new here, hi, my name is Savannah, and I'm your host of Killer Instinct. Make sure you go ahead and hit that subscribe button. That way you never miss an episode. We post weekly here on the podcast every Wednesday, and then again every Thursday on YouTube, and you're not going to want to miss it. I'll be back next week with a brand new case for you guys, and until then, stay safe. Bye, guys.